Pursuit Podcast. Tonight we have a little bit varied content. We're going to talk amongst Chris, Brett, and I for a little while, and then we're going to turn to one of the interviews we did last week, talking to the crew from Fights On. But first of all, I want to welcome Chris to the call. What's up, man? How's everything in Michigan? Everything's going. Just trips to Lowe's and freaking working on the house because there's nothing else to do. I'm so glad you're authorized to do home improvement projects. That, so, that's dude, awesome. the hobby space is getting the bomb. I hate you. I'm, I'm jealous. Mine These just bookshelves. has. All my Osprey books are like perfectly arranged. It's just, yeah, I'm so happy. Well, Brett, are you getting jealous? How are you doing tonight? Uh, yeah, I'm a little jealous. I need, you know, not that I really want to do a whole makeover, but I'd like to get another display cabinet. My display case is getting full of airplanes. Dude, I was thinking the same thing the other day. I've got, because all of my horror's heresy crap, I'm actually looking at one of those Ikea freaking <laughs> little square ones. Just getting that for um, just Blood Ritz guys. So, because the, the, the other one's just full. Yeah, I picked up another one of the low display cases uh, to make my hobby table. So, my three foot by five foot hobby table is made out of another one of those world market uh, glassed in display uh, case uh, desk returns, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and that's been wonderful, although it was just stupid expensive. I'm like, why couldn't I just go buy the Ikea wall cabinets because they're cheap? But it's because I'm dumb. So, hey, we know yeah, that. Those Deltoff cases are pretty freaking bulletproof. I mean, I love my huge trophy case that I got, which that's definitely the way to go if you got the space. But the um, those Ikea Deltoff cases, just, they're awesome. Yeah, well, I'm in the process of totally redoing this office up here. Part of it was to be able to do the podcast, to be able to live stream, to be able to shoot video, all the things I wanted to do that it, it wasn't set up for. So, you know, it's it's taking time for all of us while we're uh, doing nothing else other than staring at the four walls to rip those four walls down and put something else up. But that's awesome. So uh, a lot of intel this week, a lot of things going on. It's been kind of funny for me to see uh, FLGSs, your friendly local gaming stores, starting to open up. People starting to do a little bit of gaming out there back in person. Uh, and at the same time, it's been kind of interesting to see how many other people have given in and started playing tabletop sim. I'm talking about you guys, VGR Podcast. Yeah, veteran gamers re-enlisted. You finally sucked it up and joined us in TTS, you bastards. So, you know, it's one of those things. I, I understand a lot of people have a hang-up with playing things virtually, and, and it doesn't, quote, feel the same. Um, but when you're jonesing and you want to push miniatures around a table, you know, virtual miniatures work pretty darn good for the plastic ones. Brett, I know you've been doing a ton of stuff. Oh, my God. I've been loving it, man. Uh, yeah, you ditched us the other night. Nice. I thought the loyalty of the <laughs> podcast, you know. Brett comes up, hey, can we record early, guys? Oh, you know, yeah, you're probably doing something nice with your wife. You're going to sit around the pool drinking beers. No, you're playing a campaign on Tabletop Sim. Nice. Thanks. I know. Thanks Ever since Steve and I started this campaign, I pretty much uh, all day long when we're not playing, I'm thinking about the next game. So he says well, he's doing good. the same thing, too. So we're wanting to play a lot. You know, man, that's that's one of the things I love about campaigns. I guess I should say I love and hate about them. It's it's kind of like prepping for a con, prepping a competitive list. You're constantly thinking about, oh, crap, what am I going to do for the next one? Hey, you know, I lost these guys. I've got, you know, I've got new pilots, et cetera, et cetera. I, I'm really excited to watch you guys go through that uh, that campaign. And while I'm not quite there ready to do that yet, I still have a lot of other 
Blood Red Skies duties I'm trying to knock out. Um, I, I really, I'm kind of jealous in which I was playing a campaign. Yeah, when we get to games played, I can give you kind of the synopsis of what, what's happened in the campaign so far since our last episode. It's been pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about that in a bit. First up, I do want to talk about some of the intel out there. So uh, once again, we've talked about it a couple times. Uh, Kevin at uh, Miscellaneous Minis, uh, the, uh, the crew over at AIM, the crew at Warlord, Everybody is slowly getting back into the grind or is backed up. Uh, so everybody be patient. I was listening to the Snafu podcast tonight, and they were talking about uh, Warlord probably having three guys running three shifts. So in other words, one person per shift pulling orders. Uh, and the fact that everything is going to be a little bit delayed. So we know that, that we are getting direct shipments now from Warlord. Uh, they're probably running about two weeks behind. So that's fine. Deal with it. I know, uh, Brett, you've already been spending your money out at Noble Knight and some of my other favorite places to uh, drop my paycheck. So <laughs> you've been ordering a few new miniatures. That's right. I just today uh, got a box of, uh, ordered a box of uh, 109Gs, the last box uh, last box that they had at Noble Knight. So I grabbed those up and I'll Excellent. get to use those at, uh, at our virtual thing in June. And then um, I also recently, I had some some Amazon credits, so I snapped up like three of the German aces that were on Amazon. So, oh, nice, nice. Yeah. Well, Chris, what have you uh, picked up or seen lately that you've been coveting and just haven't uh, pulled the trigger on ordering? It's honestly, you know, we just talked about miscellaneous minis, but I just picked up a butt ton of freaking decals from Kevin. So um, he got all the all the the forty seven ones are up there, but he's got some new focal one ninety ones. They're just super sweet. Um, he's got some new 109 ones up. He did the decals for, um, uh, the book that are, that we were talking about a higher call. Um, right. so you've got like a B17 and a 109 on the same freaking decal sheet. Um, he's just been cranking stuff out and, um, yeah, it's just, it's awesome. He's got, um, looks like he's got some new B17. Oh, he's got some other ones too. He's got another section of B17 ones that are up now. So yeah, if if you haven't been in miscellaneous minis, definitely go over there and give it a try. So I, I've just got to get back to painting stuff. Right now, I've just been I, it, all the home stuff has been taking priority. So as soon as I get the stuff knocked out, I've got my because right now my whole hobby room is torn apart. So it's it's I don't oh, know. Oh, pobrecito! His his hobby basement stuff. is torn apart. Not hobby room, hobby basement. Please, so let's, it's let's kind see. of funny the way I did it. The wife, the wife really wants the game room done where the pool table is. And I was kind of like, you know, I, I haven't done any inlaid cabinets like that before. So how about if I experiment? On oh, you're such a fucking cheese ball. <laughs> nice work. Nice. Totally Nicely done. Worked, dude. She was like, oh, yeah, that's cool. So I'm doing all these inlaid bookshelves. Nice. Like, oh, man, your work looks really nice. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm figuring out how we're going to do the other room. So but the only thing is I got to do the guest room and the game room, too. So but I'll get back at it. Soon. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Sheer brilliance. Nice work. Well, yeah. So uh, as we're all trying to get ready for the uh, the virtual uh, gathering of eagles, I know we've been picking up miniatures. We talked a little bit in the in the break beforehand about some things that uh, that we're going to try to do. Um, but for everybody out there, if you haven't gone to sign up yet, it is live. It's on Facebook. You can go to our website and see how to sign up for it. You can go to Facebook and see the link on our uh, Lead Pursuit podcast page. Go sign up. It's free. You can tell us what you want to participate in. It's not like you're actually signing up for courses or seminars. That way, we just kind of get a feeling of what people are interested in. If everyone says, I really don't want to hear Doug talk tactics, but 
Brett and Chris painting. Yeah, I want to go to those classes. Uh, we'll have a, a bunch of different one-hour kind of uh, classes, discussions, things like that via either Google Meet and Zoom and, and Discord. Um, and then obviously people will be playing Tabletop Sim. Uh, I pretty much have gotten suckered into giving the virtual demo, and that's fine. Uh, so we'll do that if you're, so if you're not a tabletop sim person and you will see what it's about, show up to the first part of the, uh, of the virtual con and, uh, watch, uh, me get tabled by Brett because Brett's been uh, playing a lot more World War II than I have. No, I haven't, uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I'm, I'm kind of getting beat pretty good, right? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, uh, my streak just, I, I it failed on Monday. Uh, Roger, uh, pretty much knocked the pants off me in our Vietnam play testing. Uh, and so it was, it was pretty embarrassing. I, uh, I had been used to beating him and, and, and I can't blame the rules cause the rules are exactly where we wanted them to be. So, um, while anyone who may have been in the, uh, in the happy hour last Friday may have heard me being very negative about some of the things about the rules, it, it, it is just because of the things we've cut out. So if you weren't there on on that happy hour Google uh, Google Meet, um, the thing I was trying to tell people is I tried to manage expectations. Don't expect this to be all of Vietnam. This is just MIGs and F4s mixing it up. So it's it's really canned. And and the last couple times we've played, uh, it has been a lot of fun. So I think we're getting close to to a good product to hand off to Andy. Let Andy do his part as the overall game designer and go, that's the dumbest idea ever, Doug. I don't know why Roger signed up for that. Uh, throw all of our stuff out and start all over. Um, but I, I think we have something that will give people a, a pretty cool Vietnam uh, flavor to the game. But I have to actually start looking at World War II stuff again so I don't get totally crushed uh, <laughs> the first weekend in June when we're, when we're playing Malta and all those different scenarios. All right, so moving on. I know uh, I know you guys have been doing some hobbying. I still haven't. My horrible excuse is all the other work I've been doing, but uh, you guys have been working on a couple different things from uh, what I've seen on Facebook. I've just uh, I just finished three Do Seventeens just today, actually, and I prepped and and uh, uh, undercoated a, another B twenty nine. So kind of rocking oh, nice. on that. Yeah. Nice. Well, I just finished a couple DO-17s, but those were courtesy of Steve Toth, and they were online. So uh, by the time this podcast drops, anyone who is playing on Tabletop Sim will notice, hey, my models changed. Yes, they did. So you now have models that flip forward and backward, just like an advantage stand should. And so you're not pivoting the model, you're pivoting the advantage stand. And I, I can't say enough nice things, uh, how much I owe Steve for getting that done. He, I think I took about two years off his life with the project. Uh, I know, <laughs> Brett, you probably saw him losing his mind a couple times as you're trying to make uh, the flight stands work and everything during your game. But he has done an amazing job. Uh, getting that all to be just like it is on the tabletop. How about that new collision mechanic? Is that in there yet? Oh yeah, it, it is. So so we up. I uploaded that today. Uh, I'm importing it to some of the playtest uh, mechanic stuff. So if you're on the playtest team, uh, know your big F4s and F105s and uh, MIGs aren't going to knock each other over. Uh, so I, I I can't say enough. I owe Steve hugely. So when I don't have to see him virtually, I'll owe him a beer. Until then, I'll buy him Oduls because Oduls is virtual beer, I guess. Uh, okay, that was a dumb joke, but hey. Um, but yeah, so it's it's amazing, and, and all that's in the sim live as of today, so you should see it before the podcast comes out uh, and uh, and be able to play with a lot more aircraft and a furball. 
Yeah, I mean, on my side, I got the LA-5s done through the flurry wash process. I've just got some ceiling to do, and I'm going to finish the canopies on them. I got my last two Mossies done in the Polish paint scheme. So those guys just need some, they need to have their canopies finished, and they need to be clear-coated. And I, I ran into the weirdest thing, and I was going to ask Brett if he'd run into it before. Um, I've, you know, we always use the, the Vallejo real metal freaking paint for doing our, our chromes and stuff like that. And, and I love this stuff, but for the first time when I did, I did a 47 as a test model the other day, I wanted to do a, a nice shiny jug and it just something about it somewhere in the process. I got a spider web all over the model and it's really tiny. And I, I didn't really notice it until I, I put the flurry wash over it. And the second I put the flurry wash over it, it was like every default or defect in the paint job just like jumped out at me so that thing went in the purple power and i just wanted to see if that had been something you'd ever run into brett i think it was something between the paint and the gloss coat that i put on to seal it yeah wow i've never had that happen before with that combination so i'm guessing you use the airbrush to put it on right so yeah i mean well the the it was the rattle can because we've been doing the rattle can primers and i was using the nice rust-oleum gloss coat no, and, I mean the paint, the paint color. Yeah, the paint went on. Yeah, I used the the black undercoat with a gloss paint, the way it's you know recommended to apply. By the way, if you're applying those real metal colors, make sure you're putting a gloss black down first. Um, if you put a regular black primer down, it just doesn't do the same um, same things for you. But I did everything the way I normally do it. And I don't know if it was something maybe in the priming. It, it could have been anything. Could have been the priming process. Could have been could have been anywhere in there but like i said the flurry wash was the when it jumped out at me it was like oh no that's junk so which i because i do my flurry after i do decals because i want the flurry to sit on top especially where there's a panel line going through decal and so it was like yeah so a whole set of 47 decals just wipe those away just in the purple power and scrub it off and start over i'll Bummer. let you guys know if i run into it again but it, yeah it was a it was a first time for me running into that that kind of thing and that's why i always do a test model so it's like when I'm doing a new paint process, a new aircraft, I just want to see what everything sets up like, and then I do the rest of them. But I'm glad I did it this time, especially because I would have I would have cried if I was stripping six of them. So. Well, let me be perfectly honest. I don't want lockdown to end. I just want to get done with this damn tabletop sim project so I can start going back to hobbying. <laughs> I don't know what it's like to put decals on and gloss coat and put flurry wash on right now. So... I should be done. There's like one more week of of real work on this uh, TTS thing, and then I think it'll be uh, be up and and as far as at least Warlord will let us go. Which I'll make the point again, like I did last week. Um, if you like what we have, make sure you send an email to info at warlordgames.com and tell them how great the tabletop sim is and that it's not going to stop you from buying models in fact you've just gone out and ordered 17 different boxes of miniatures okay maybe that's an exaggeration but my point is there is a uh, a concern at uh, warlord that virtual things will override uh plastic and resin things and it certainly won't in my world because i really want to stop playing with the virtual things and get back to the plastic and resin. I don't know about the rest of you guys. <laughs> no, I, re I really want to do some tabletop stuff. I mean, not just Blood Red Skies, but I've got some friends over in Lansing and it's, and now that I'm getting all the rooms done, it's like, I cannot wait to invite them over. Brian Force, shout out to you. Dude, as soon as this is over, we're going to get a down dirty freaking mechanic versus freaking death. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't want to know what you're doing uh, in your basement getting down and dirty. I don't so, want to but know. No, I can't wait to roll dice again. It's just, that's the one thing that's been really sucking in all this is, I mean, Adepticon being blown up and then freaking... 
this continual separation. <laughs> well, so so the funny it's thing was that I, I I finally out of all of this this isolation I got what I wanted. I got my hobby table. It's not a four by six forty k standard. It's three by five, but three by five actually taught me something something unique and interesting. I didn't realize I'd gone to deep cuts many times and drooled over all their really really cool mats. And all of the ones that I really liked, because uh, they were Blood Red Skies ones, had clouds. And, you know, I've got their MIG Alley uh, map or mat with the clouds on it. And, and it's cool. I like it. But I think if I'd wanted to buy it, I would have bought it without the clouds. Well, you know, you can get all of those mats without the clouds. All you have to do is go on there, select custom. And even if it's still oh. the same size, even if it's four by six... You can go in there and go, I want MIG Alley with no clouds, or I want MIG Alley with clouds. I want Cliffs of Dover, no clouds. I can't remember if they have a Cliffs of Dover, but they've got a, a beach one. You know, I want, um, you know, the fields map, their, their, uh, their British fields, clouds, no clouds. So I picked up that one with no clouds, um, and it looks really cool. I actually like it a hell of a lot better than that mat with clouds, and I wouldn't have done it if I hadn't had to go buy a custom size, which was 3 by 5 uh, for my custom gaming area, so... Yeah, you don't like the clouds? Go order it. <laughs> yeah, I, I caught in on that a little while ago when I ordered one of mine, and freaking, it is. I, I do like getting them without the clouds because the details just show up, and most of the ones they show on the website have the clouds on them. And I didn't know that was an option, but I was digging around one day and I was, what the hell is this? Clouds, no clouds. So I actually sent them an email. I says, does that just mean no clouds? They were like, yeah, duh, dude. That's what it says. No yeah, exactly. They're like, hey, dumbass. <laughs> I don't know. In your country, English is the, the primary language. Or apparently, you don't speak no, it. No, but that was, we're the ones from Estonia, exactly. and we know how exactly. it's spelled. Exactly. One of the things I found with gaming tables, the um, I, you know, I've I've always had a, a hard time in this hobby space that I've got in here. Not that I don't have hobby space everywhere, but it, because of Michigan basements, thank God. But I, I always wanted to game in the main gaming room where the pool table was. And um, years ago, we had gotten a set of ping pong table covers. They go on top of the pool table. We just never, never used them. They've been sitting freaking in the storage room forever. And the other day I was like, hmm, let me pull those out and check this out. So I put the cover on the pool table, put those up there. Dude, it's like the most epic gaming table ever. So it's, yeah, it's yeah I've, I've got a couple friends that do that. They have you end the up covers with like for six their... inches around the mat, you know, yep. of yep. room to set all your stuff on. It's like, it's like, dude. This yeah, but is just... but do you have one of those little pool cue sticks to push your models across the table? Because I know you can't reach the middle of a four and by you, six and table anyway. And you put anyway. the headset on, and I'm gonna get the little British. I'm gonna hire a little British girl to do it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You dress up like Winston Churchill. <laughs> oh well, yeah. You know, you got to have some fun with what you're doing. Then, all right. Well, that's cool. Well. So we're going to move on from all the stuff that we've seen to our main topic for the night, which is talking to the guys from Fights On, a company that produces terrain and accessories for a variety of air warfare games, but mostly generated around Check Your Six and some of the other hex-based games. So tonight we're joined by the crew from Fights On, Rob and Sandy. Rob, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks. Sandy, how are you doing? It's good to have you on the podcast. Thanks. It's great to be here. Awesome. Well, uh, let's start with Rob. Tell me how you got started in wargaming. Well, I think I was 10 years old and my dad got me a copy of War at Sea uh, for my 10th birthday, which ironically has the battleship USS Texas painting on the cover. And Texas right. is now parked here in Houston. And uh, we've, we've actually run wargaming uh, fundraising events aboard Texas. So that, that connection really came full circle. 
Um, but then I just played board war games through junior high school, high school, and then kind of got away from it for a while. And probably about 20 years in my later in my adulthood, uh, I met the, uh, the other knucklehead on this call and, uh, and he just sucked me right in a world war two, uh, air combat games. Well, I might've, uh, played war at sea a time or two. Did you ever play the counterpart victory in the Pacific? Oh yeah. I, did you I, play them together? No, <laughs> back, I, ne- back I never the did the grand a- game. Yeah. Back before Axis and allies existed, there was the war at sea plus victory in the Pacific. So I may have done that before. That's, that's really a naval nerd nice uh, check in the box there uh well cool well sandy why don't you uh tell me how you got started in wargaming i mean did you did you slip and fall and break your aviator sunglasses and like walk in a game store accidentally thinking it was no. sunglasses hut i mean how does how does a cool aviator all of a sudden <laughs> end up playing being board games it was a long time ago i walked into the complete strategist in new york city and they were playing sword and the flame which is this brand new set of rules and it looked really cool (laughs) Uh, so that just started you down this slippery slope of more and more gaming right yep kids aren't going to college because of it yeah yeah exactly (laughs) have a lot of really cool miniatures really good games on the shelf and that's about it well good well so you guys have fights on tell me a little bit about this uh, partnership called fights on and what you guys do well, uh, Sandy and I started uh, playing air combat games probably in about 2000. I think it was Blue Red Sun, Blue Sky Rules. And then we got into uh, Two Fat Lardy's rule set called Bag the Hun. And then uh, in 2007, uh, Scott Fisher uh, came out with uh, Check Your Six. He's the, the publisher of Skirmish Campaigns. So Check Your Six was really the first rule set that really brought the air to ground element in. So previously we had been just been pure dogfights and bomber intercepts, but now the scenarios, some of them had additional purpose where you were actually dive bombing or you were strafing ground targets. And so one day in my garage, I was just goofing around and I cobbled together uh, some AAA sites and a SAM site. Uh, because we were getting into some jet rules and we needed an SA2 site marker on the table. So I just made them out of, you know, some hexes I had from Litgo that were just lying around. And I, I put them together and painted them and showed them to Sandy. And he's like, Hey, this is really cool. We could sell these. <laughs> I was like, what, why, why would we do that? We have them. And uh, so I think Sandy, what was the original name? CTX or something? I think it was C, like, I don't even remember what it stood for, but uh, a lot of this came about that we had some time on our hands, and both Rob and I hate cluttered game tables, and a lot of this stuff came about because of the desire not to have a cluttered game table, and uh, cool markers, and uh, we started researching how to do it, and uh, actually one of our early mentors was Scott Fisher, who... uh, uh, gave us some really good pointers on how to, you know, how to start a business and how to do things like that and uh, took it from there. We started with three products and Rob, how many products are there now? Uh, we probably have over 120 now. Nice, nice. Well, I know you have them in a couple different sizes too, depending on what scale the players are operating at because obviously some of these games are not tied to a specific scale. So you could have everything from one to to things a lot smaller. The, the thing with air games, it's 
Yeah, I believe you referred to as uh, TLAR. Is that correct? Yes. <laughs> that looks about right. Because yeah. as you know, being a aviator yourself, the it's a fluid environment and it goes from zero to 50,000 feet, you know, sometimes higher. And so things change with altitude. And uh, so it really doesn't matter what the, how big the piece is. So really what our things are is they fit the standard hexes that people tend to play in that being right. one and a half inch hex, two inch hex, or sometimes even people branch out into three inch hexes for really large airplanes. So, but the TLR theory kind of works for all of it. Would you agree, Rob? Yep, that sounds about right. Yeah, well, we've we've gone through that a lot with Blood Red Skies because obviously the aircraft that Warlord produces are one two hundredth scale, but the scale of the game is obviously not one two hundredth. And and you know, I've argued with even Andy himself as to the scale of the game and things like that, just from the the pure physics of it. Uh, and what we've had to have a discussion a number of times with people is when they say, well, now that we have ground targets, how big should the ground targets be? And I'm like, well, I don't know. How big is your game? How mm -hmm. big is your board? How many aircraft are attacking it? Uh, so, so I think what, what Brett and a number of us on the podcast have done is we generally have, you know, two or three inch markers out there, whether they're just regular acrylic markers or acrylic bases, we've put armored vehicles, maybe micro armor or Pico armor uh, style buildings and terrain on there. Um, but I think we've, we've tried to explain to people the reason we're playing with miniatures and playing on these nice gaming mats is to is to make it look cool visually. Uh, you decide what what that cool is, you know. Yeah, to address that, I mean, Pico stuff is great. We really love their products. Uh, one of the things that Rob and I came up with was we wanted the ability, no matter what, to put an air to air stand on every single piece of gear that we put out, so that you can have the guy flying over the AAA site or flying over the town right. or whatever exactly. without the thing falling over. So we really don't have a whole lot of relief to the figures just because, and if there is relief, it's at a uh, fixed altitude off the, uh, the hex because that allows the, you know, as long as you have three points, the, the, the flight stand will stand. Yeah, we make well, sure there's three points of contact at the highest elevation on every product we make. So your flight stand will always fit on top of the target. That's one of our design principles. Right. Well, I, I'd noticed that like for your urban hexes and like your power plants and everything, you, you guys did a really good job of making it such that while it showed some detail, it was obvious and, and you, you show it in your photos, you've got a fighter on a stand right in the middle of downtown. Uh, that the the intent is to be able to play right over the top of it, which is which is really nice because you know it's always the the more terrain you add to some of these air gaming tables, the tougher it makes it to actually do the aviation part of it because mm -hmm. you've got really cool desert huts, you've got really cool buildings, you've got all these other things that you either have to fly around over whatever, and you can't um, you can't precisely track uh, people's location. Now you know the the good thing is the. Blood Red Skies rules are a little different than some of the other ones. There's, there is so much that's generalized in the movement phases and in the actions of Blood Red Skies. A lot of times it's easy if the target is localized, if you just have like a small two-inch base, just, you know, move the fighters a little bit further one way or the other. Um, but I, I know, especially if you're playing Check Your Six and things that are a lot more precise, uh, that really defeats kind of the purpose of having so much precision in those rules. Yeah, it's a hex-based 
rule set. And I think every air combat game we've gone through has always been hex hex base. So that's why all the uh, come come are to the hexes. free the free living society of no hexes. Well, yeah, except we say- wings of war. Yeah, except the World War One game that yeah. was not. Yeah, and, and I've never played that, but uh, you know, it was funny to me to to go from a very uh, you know free flowing miniatures board game world like you know 30k and 40k but also having a very disciplined hex base background uh to then get into blood red skies and it's not because like you said every other aerial war game i'd looked at had been hex based but with whatever miniatures you wanted to use and so i think we've all lived through all those nightmares of metallic flight stands metallic tape measures uh magnets in your uh in your in your pivot uh, axis for the aircraft and all those things sticking together that make us wish it was hex based so we knew exactly where to put the airplanes back after we knocked them all over speaking so. of flight stands that's one of the main products i think i'm i really love because we call them the cadillac of the sky flight stand right right and i saw those on your side it's actually the speedometer of a p51 we actually got the same font and the same look to it. We got a really, you know, and that part of fights on is the extended team, right? So, you know, Sandy and I, it's our business, but we have an extended team of support that really help us create some of these products. So we've got a very skilled laser cutting guy that we contract with who really got the essence of the P51 speedometer. And then we came up with this system of using uh, magnets to show the heights and in a game like check your six there are 12 altitude levels in every game and you can actually Uh, oh yes which that is that is one of the things keeping me from picking up check your six (laughs) oh it's not hard yeah but what the beauty of it is when you're playing check your six you have you have to plot your moves and typically every player has a clipboard with their aircraft you know data sheet and their plot sheet and the clipboard always has a metal, you know, clamp that holds your paper down. That metal clamp makes a perfect storage place for your magnets. So you have enough magnets to swap out with your flight stand to make all the altitude levels. And because these are rare earth magnets, they literally leap out of your hand onto the flight stand. So it's not fiddly at all. We, we've experimented with some other systems with telescoping radio antennas and actually having, um, you know, rods uh, that plug into each other, much like, you know, a tube with an inside diameter and an outside diameter. And it, those are just fiddly. It takes too long to adjust your aircraft. But these magnetic system, this magnetic system that we have, it is just, it is slick. Well, and- I have to make fun of Sandy since he is a single seat Marine F-18 pilot. I mean, did he show up and like try to bring one of those extendable pointers that, that they probably issued him at Top Gun? <laughs> and, uh, and did he try to use that as his flight stand? Come on, Sandy. No response to that. No, I did not. And they did not. <laughs> you did not attend Top Gun or you did not do I a have never attended Naval Fighter Weapons School. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. You're you not know, one the, of them. The original flight stands that came out actually didn't change the altitudes. It just had one arrow for speed and another arrow for altitude. So that that's why we like our system, because the only arrow on the flight stand is for speed. Right. And altitude right. is literally controlled with the magnets and it actually adjusts the height, which makes it look cool, which gets back to why did we create fights on? We want game tables to look cool. 
Well, the, the stuff on the site is just amazing. And the, and the funny thing for me is for someone who truly doesn't have a ton of interest to play Check Your Six, it's one of those things that I'm like, you know, I really need to get off my ass and play this game. I, I need to get into it. I need to learn about it. I need to, to uh, spend the time. But, but my problem is when I do that, I, I don't get drawn down into the World War II terrain or some of the, because I saw there's some cool shots in there with, um, with some zeros and things. But as soon as I see the air-to-air missiles, the SAM sites, and then all the desert power plants and railroads and things like that, I go, oh, I could do a lot of Arab-Israeli war gaming. Well, so. we've, we've got the, uh, the Suez Canal. And we have I, dice to support you. Yeah, I, and I saw that too. I was like, Israeli and Egyptian dice, not bad at all. Yeah. yeah. So, so I had to laugh because it's it's one of those things. And I and you you may or may not have listened to episodes of the podcast where I talk about my acrylic addiction. I'm kind of the same way about uh, small scale buildings or terrain and stuff like that. I'm like, oh yeah, I could I could easily spend too much money and, and build up a uh, an armada of well, those things. I heard in your last podcast, you guys are getting into Vietnam rules. You're going to need a suspected truck park yeah exactly on the Ho Chi Minh Trail <laughs> which we and, sell and I saw that <laughs> and, I, and I was laughing because you know I I think the the funny thing for a lot of Blood Red Skies gamers and it's because the game has been so aircraft centric for so long that w- when we tried to explain to people you know make your terrain look like something meaningful um there were so many questions they're like well well, but how big should it be? And it's the case of who cares? I, right. I don't I don't care if you want to go buy a one two hundred scale train station and put that on the far end of the board. Go it's gonna, for it. It's gonna yeah. mean that everybody on the board can attack it, you know, with a six inch bombing radius. But but it's one of those things where you say, yeah, put that out there. Do do whatever looks cool. And so that's why I you know, I when I looked at a lot of the stuff, um, I kind of said to myself, I'm like, yeah, yeah, there's some cool terrain there, but this can be a slippery slope. So <laughs> I have to watch out. But like the train stations, the uh, the chain home radar, all that stuff is is fine. And and if people are wondering if they're like, well, it's hex based, it has a hex on it. Who cares? Yeah, Put it so on a what? clear acrylic, you know, does it matter? Yeah. Because so. if you paint the edges, it'll blend right in with your exactly. your beautiful uh, you know mats that you guys are doing. Are you guys doing deep cut studio maps? So we do a couple different ones. I do. Uh, we have their Mig Alley map, yep. um, which we've been doing a lot of stuff on. Did a lot of our Vietnam stuff on that one as well, and it is um, it is awesome. I, I love that mat. Uh, I've also used some from Tiny War Games or Tiny War Gaming their uh, their Dover Coast map and a couple other ones. Um, so y'all stuff would fit in perfectly. And, oh, yeah. and it, you know, the, the funny thing is detail, I think is one of those truly one of those eye of the beholder things, because it all comes down to your technique. You can paint a lot of detail and a lot of, um, depth into a relatively detailless model or miniature, you know? And so I'm looking at some of these, like your suspected truck park. I'm like, you guys took way too much time to paint that. You painted it longer than I would have. And I realized <laughs> it's probably like three colors and, and one, one wash on there. But, uh, but uh, no, those those look really cool. It's really not that hard to paint them. We we yeah. do paint a lot. Some customers request us to paint. We're happy to do that. It is very yeah. hard to paint those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see: dark green, light green, uh, uh, red for the road. And yeah, pretty wash. much. Yeah, yeah. you yeah. got it. Yep. You know, some of our products are actually from customer suggestions. So, like Chain Home, that is actually a three D printed model that uh, we got some support on from a, a 3D artist. And then we have uh, another uh, guy in New Orleans, actually, that paint that uh, prints them up for us and drop ships them either to a customer or to me. 
And that chain home really came off the actual technical drawings that, that I found on basically Google search for the, oh, that, that's uh, cool. the chain home towers. And then the uh, Leipzig train station is actually the train station in Leipzig, Germany. And uh, again, that was that was off of just Google Photographs, customer request, and uh, it's also 3D printed. And we're about to release, uh, this is a scoop for you, we're about to release uh, at customer request, uh, the St. Uh, Nazaire docks, you know, in, uh, in France that were the scene of uh, many bombing raids because it was the dry dock where, where Tirpitz was before the channel dash. Right. And uh, that's also a 3D printed product that's, that it's pretty much done. We've actually, we're sending it to our, our first customer. Nice. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about the materials. You know, okay. I know probably some of your stuff early on has been, you know, resin casts and things like that. And then now you're doing more 3D printing. Uh, can you walk me through how that's kind of evolved? Sure. Um, initially, it just started with one type of resin out of a major box store you can find in most cities. And, uh, and that, that ended up being kind of a failure because it needed to be a little bit more, um, less viscous in the pouring. Cause a lot of the, cause you mentioned there's a lot of detail and the detail wouldn't come in cause the, the thickness of the, uh, of the casting resin wouldn't get into all the nooks and crannies and stuff like that. So there's a huge learning curve with this and we ended up going to a different product that actually uh, was really non-viscous and would flow really, really well. And they still had to do some, you know, get the air out issues. We're not a, um, we don't have one of those, you know, the vacuum systems that sucks all the uh, bubbles out and all that kind of stuff. You know, I have to do, I generally, I'm the resin monkey, but uh, I, I tend to have to do some extra work to get all the air bubbles out to the you know, best of my ability and make the uh, product look as good as possible. Um, but we've gotten it down to where, you know, our, our shrink is pretty, uh, pretty low. We can pretty much put out any product we, uh, we make pretty easily. But uh, it started with just um, taking those masters that Rob came up with uh, back in 2009 or whatever it was and uh, uh, using RTV mu- uh, rubber to make a mold out of it and uh, just learning how to do that bit by bit and uh, – Pouring the resin, some of the things we do, we actually use a, a color tint to them. Most of them, most of them we don't. It comes out pretty much in white resin. Um, but uh, as time and you know schedules get crunched, we have actually you know, outsourced some of our stuff to a uh, an operator out of uh, Washington State, and they do a great job uh, pumping out some of the stuff that we really just. It's the mundane stuff we use a lot of, and I uh, just have um, those folks do it for us. Like Rob was saying, we you know outsource to a bunch of other folks, and uh, and that's helpful to me because I'll, I'll do a lot of the uh, uh, PETA products. You can figure PITA, um, the ones that kind of exactly. give me a uh, <laughs> yes, you can say a pain in the ass. <laughs> the high, the highbrow <laughs> products, exactly. The ones that the ones that are obnoxious, I generally do myself. And uh, a lot of the ones that are just, you know, ad nauseum products that we just have a lot of, but they're easy to do, we'll outsource them. Um, it's like the AAA. Yeah, all the, the AAA, all those kind of things get outsourced because that's just, you know, mindless pouring. And uh, I'd rather spend my time 
making sure that the more uh, intricate ones are, are poured correctly. Right. Because those other right. ones are going to pour themselves. But anyway, so as time went on, we, we kind of came to a good product that we uh, tend to use um, on a regular basis. You know, it's a, ends up being a white resin. Um, that's about it. Well, you tint, you tint the sun product because that makes it look cool. The Sun one I tint and the World War II uh, bunker complexes I tint with uh, brown because that's just a great it's it's all the way through so no matter what you do you're not you're still going to have a base color of dark brown under there and the the right. Sun product hell just hit it with a uh, it comes out bright orange just hit it with a couple shades of yellow and it's you know it rocks dry brush yeah Dude. just dry brush from yellow and uh, it kills, kicks it. But, is uh, the sun important in Blood Red Sky? Like where the sun is? No, so it's not. And that's okay. uh, that's one of the things that just really isn't isn't factored into the game. Uh, as an environmental, I mean, there's obviously clouds and yeah. you know other other environmentals factored in there. Uh, sun and sun, relative sun position, no, not at all. Yeah, because in, in the scenarios we play, in World War II, it doesn't have as much of a bearing. But boy, when you get to Vietnam and you start firing IR missiles, the sun makes a big difference. Right, right. Yeah, that makes if, sense. Yeah, Doug, if you were a fighter pilot, you'd know this. But being <laughs> as you were just 700 pounds of gas, you don't. Well, you know, the good thing was I had pilots that even though they took away 700 pounds of radar, they actually got me to and from the location so I could spend the time studying, remembering how, you know, various IR scans worked and, and how to build FM ramping for a missile, things like that, that you probably didn't study in your ACTI. No, I don't think those things were invented back when I was a fighter pilot. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, Rob, I'm sorry. You have to sit here and listen That's to all right. Marines. I enjoy it. Have a dick measuring contest, <laughs> but we we know that you know Sandy's a smaller because he's a pilot. You know it's tough when you come unarmed like yourself. <laughs> you know another, oh. another thing uh, I wanted to bring up for your future in Vietnam games is uh, uh, Phyton makes useful products for radar lock uh, markers and. We right. actually used HUD symbology for the lock-on marker, and then the warning marker is the what the radar warning receiver, the raw gear. Right. Yeah, uh, it's an ALR sixty-seven presentation. You, you'd recognize it immediately. <laughs> wow. Yep. So yeah, it's pretty. Those cool. are very useful, and and it could translate into your uh, playtest development because it's important to denote which aircraft is locking up which target. Oh, and we actually sell those in different colors, and they're numbered. So when you buy a set of four, they're just numbered. There's there's lock on one, which matches up to warning one, and you put the warning on you know the plane you're targeting. Right. Um, right. But then we also sell them in multiple colors. So if you get engagements with more than four planes, which often you do, now you can have eight or 12 nice. different variations. And that's pretty cool. That I, you know, uh, I'm patting ourselves on the back, but that's one of the best systems I've ever seen. I've seen other people, you know, try and denote radar locks in different styles. Ours, it's clean and it's the actual symbology, which right. I think is worth bonus points. <laughs> yeah, <you'll, laughs> no, that's that's pretty darn cool. Yeah, the lock on's pretty cool because it's the uh, it's the Hornet, you know, square with the diamond inside. Right. Yeah. It, so that kind of brings back old times. <laughs> yeah, all those old times. Didn't say good times. We said old times. <laughs> yeah, we you know. <laughs> we do some of the other markers that we just think are funny, like blacked out pilot is literally a pilot helmet with, you know, X's on the eyes. And um, 
let's see, Winchester. Uh, yeah. You could actually run out of ammunition. I was looking at all those icons, and that's pretty funny for we, the uh, for the turns. Yeah, and we got a very familiar Pony Express rider icon yep. <laughs> waiting on that C and D letter to arrive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, right after the uh, who 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 produced Top Gun? Uh, Paramount. Yeah, yeah. Paramount we're waiting. Worried. We're waiting for Paramount, uh, Remington, yeah. and, no, and Winchester, Disney. Winchester. A Winchester. Yeah. And Disney. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, <laughs> we will have made it as a company when any one of those letters well, and is And that's received. the thing. you know, if, if you actually get on their radar at that point, you're like, yep, we've arrived. We apparently are enough of a thorn in their side. They care. <laughs> Time to quit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So don't worry about that. But yeah, you obviously have uh, all the uh, all the custom scenarios and downloads up there. So that's pretty cool for all those dorks that play Check Your Six. Oh, I mean, those other people that hey, play other Air other Combat games. and Naval. <laughs> We do naval 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 uh, combat games too. We got uh, surface to air uh, anti ship missiles and sea skimming missiles and chaff markers. Those are great. In, well, you know, uh, missile boat games. I hear Sandy was in one of these boat squadrons. You know, so these squadrons that actually cared about those missions. You know, unlike us. You know. K bar in the teeth, marine dogfighters that flew F 18Ds that didn't care about sea, you know, skimming missiles and stuff. No, see, you've got me wrong. <laughs> I, I avoided my last pass of the boat was a no grade at night on my initial qual. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who don't understand what I just said, <laughs> I was tired. It was about 1.30 in the morning and I didn't care anymore. Yeah, you were all out of fucks to give. <laughs> but uh, I was a qual. That's yep, all exactly. That it's all that mattered. Uh, it was yeah, I'm so glad. right to left slide across the deck. No grade. Yeah, no grade. <laughs> I, I am so glad that Wizards didn't have to go to the boat. I'm like, landed. Fucking God. <laughs> just finish up the rag and just send me to the fleet, please. I, I don't want to do this stupid boat thing. Down to the so. dirty shirt for some auto dog. Yeah, yeah. no, no. <laughs> I have 24 hours on a carrier and that was enough. Thanks. Good for you. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, and I got to say, you know, I, I had fun on the Stennis. The, my brothers from the Black Knights uh, took great care of me, but standing on the plat at night watching them wave and i'm like yeah this is the re- there's a reason i don't fucking do this because it's dumb <laughs> this is just dumb <laughs> I, I loved being on the platform it was oh. such a cool environment i'm sure during the daytime it would be really cool but literally my only experience was night because i flew aboard late afternoon you know and flew out the next morning uh, to go to bahrain but uh yeah <laughs> no, <laughs> Not I, I lo- yeah i was on tr at night on a smooth sea with a full moon and it was just absolutely gorgeous and it was just so cool yeah. you know you're getting uh the also platform where the guys stand if for those who don't know it's at the back uh you know the stern kind of uh if you're facing forward left side of the stern is where all the lso's stand and there's one for each squadron is out there along with a writer who's taking down notes from the lso and You've kind of got a little panel you're kind of hiding behind a little bit, but you still get when the planes hit the deck. I mean, they there's kind of like a they're right a, a rough surface. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're right there. Um, there's a rough surface on the deck to kind of like a non skid, and it and it come, comes off in little tiny like sand chunks, and they're hitting you from the you know the burner that's throwing it at you, and it's just so cool. And uh, and uh, the afterburner, you can just feel it in your chest. It's just reverberating in there. It's just such an awesome feeling. But yeah, see, anyway, one 
thinking about it for a full moon night would be cool. Oh, North yeah. Arabian Gulf, no moon, pitch black and overcast. Yeah, it was was not my idea of a great time. It's dark. I can't see shit until the airplane freaking slams down next to me. I'm like, yeah, this is a dumb idea. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I did 8,000 feet of pitching concrete in Iwakuni, yeah. Japan. That yeah, was- exactly. Exactly. That's difficult enough for you there. Good old yeah. Iwakuni. Totally. Uh, I love that place. <laughs> All right, well, moving on. So a couple of the other things I wanted to talk about uh, was that you guys have been working with some of your local uh, Check Your Six uh, players, and I guess there's a campaign they're all doing uh, via Roll20. We've we've talked Blood Red Skies campaigns, um, and obviously we're using Tabletop Sim for that, but tell us a little bit about uh, the Roll20. Well, one of the nice things about Check Your Six is they have all these great scenario books, which anyone could buy and use with any game system. So one of the recent, most recent books published is called The Tonkin Gulf Yacht Club, which is all about the Navy experience in Vietnam in the, the early period, which I guess was, uh, what, Rolling Thunder? The first right, the right. first campaign. Yep. So in that book is several long campaigns, but there's a special mini campaign of three linked scenarios that's all one mission. And it was actually uh, a mission to destroy a power plant uh, on the south side of Hanoi by the, at the time, one of the first smart bombs called the Walleye, which was a glide bomb. Might have actually employed some of those. I'm sure Sandy has too. (laughs) This was, uh, I think this was in 1967 and it was a couple A4s. So a series of three linked scenarios where literally you you fight the ingress mission, then you fight the bombing mission, then you fight the, the egress. Um, so with COVID and the pandemic hitting, suddenly, you know, we, we were exploring how do we continue to play our, our game hobby from home. And one of our guys in Houston is really skilled with uh, uh, on online tools and map making. He actually works for a a company in the defense sector that builds maps. So he was able to use a, a product called Roll20, which I'm not familiar with, but it's uh, it's on the internet and it is really focused on people gaming Dungeons and Dragons on a, a desktop virtually together. And then we use Discord, which is a, a another common tool I've learned about um, for voice communication like what we're doing. But Andy was able to take imagery. He would just grab a you know Google image of a top-down view of an A4 Skyhawk and just kind of shrink it, manipulate it, and basically turn it into a counter. And he put a hex grid. And then he and the author of the, the Tonkin Gulf uh, Yacht Club books, a guy named Tom in, in Boston, Tom gave him the actual uh, 1960s era maps of Hanoi. And Andy was able to take the actual maps and kind of slightly blur them into the background and then put a hex grid overlay. So it kind of like looks like we're flying on top of an of an air chart. Nice. And that's pretty neat. Then to have the power plant, we took the fights on power plant product and uh, and he just rescaled a, a top down picture of the power plant and plopped it on the, you know, the virtual game grid. And there's a SAM sites and there's AAA sites. Again, we used all fights on uh, product imagery and got them into the game. And basically cool. we can play the game and all of us are in our respective homes and we have our aircraft plotting sheets 
uh, on our desks and we're playing it at the same time and we're just manipulating the top-down aircraft counters and then there are some extra uh, features to the counter you can add in little bubbles with numbers that we agreed that for example the green number will be your speed and the red number will be your altitude you know we kind of coordinated that and then he pulled in some imagery for when you're when you light the afterburners we put a a little you know kind of flame looking thing behind the jet um, and then fights on, we sell products to mark, uh, airframe damage or engine damage, which come up in the game, uh, typically being a black or a white smoke trail. So we put those in the game and the game handles all dice rolling. So, you know, the various combinations of, of dice you need to roll for hits or for pilot crew checks or resolving, uh, damage, uh, all of that's in the game. So the roll 20 is basically a sandbox and you can build whatever you want in it. Some people do, you know, dungeons. What we're doing is our favorite air combat game. So I think your community could use this tool as well, but it sounds like you've done tremendous work in tabletop simulator, which also sounds just incredible. Yeah. Um, You know, and that's a great tool. It is. And and it's funny because uh, they're two very similar yet very different tools. The, the advantage, and you know, for this week, it's been the disadvantage as we've been troubleshooting models. <laughs> uh, the advantage of, of Tabletop Sim is having that 3D view that you can pan around and, and turn around and look at the models, which um, has been problematic this week for some of the things we've tried to add. But it's it's cool because Blood Red Skies is so geared into the miniature pivoting forward, pivoting back uh, to show its advantage state. Um, but we've looked at Roll20 as well because there's some things that Roll20 just does easier uh, for, for movement and things like that than... Um, than tabletop sim, so I think I think there's a lot of cool tools out there. I think really people should just uh, kind of use what they can uh, to to be able to play these games. What I like about tabletop sim, I've got that on mine because I wanted to play a little bit more of a a American Civil War game called Ultra Freedom, and there's some people have already worked up just beautiful representations of certain battles. Yeah, and yeah. you can just pick up a, a counter. I mean, it looks just like what I have in my house, the exact same kind of figures bases. It's just like a base of figures that some dude put the effort in and made it and you pick it up and you move it. And it gives you a measurement and everything, you know, I, I tabletop I'm, I don't find it as user friendly as I would like, especially being relatively incompetent at these things. But, uh, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to use it. I really like the idea of it. And uh, uh, unless you knock the table and then it throws everything in the air and (laughs) right, (laughs) you hope, hopefully you saved it and uh, it'll just set it back up to where you had it. But uh, no, but I really like the idea of, of, you know, zooming in, zooming out, spinning it, that kind of stuff, being able to see things that to me is pretty user friendly. We've been fortunate because there's so many other user built games that have 3d models of world war ii aircraft and so whether it's an alice and axis and allies mod things like that um we can go out there and we can find those models we already have the cards that we need to play the game uh and so it makes it pretty easy to just transition to moving those those models around uh in tabletop sim um but sometimes it just it can be a challenge like anything else especially trying to make it intuitive for everybody because uh, not not everyone is a tabletop sim expert so you want to make it so that people can get in and start moving their miniatures around and, and shooting other fighters down pretty darn quick. Are you guys thinking about 
promoting an event maybe for new players or players that have never played Blood Funny Sky. you're mentioning that. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So if anyone listened to our last episode of the podcast, uh, we were talking about gathering of eagles. Now, we had all thought maybe, just maybe there's an outside chance the first week of June things will have released enough that we can get people traveling. Uh, we know that's not going to happen for the entire U.S. So we don't want to be only available for people in the Indianapolis area or only people who can uh, you know, drive a short distance or, you know, God forbid, the number of cases changes in uh, Indianapolis and the mayor disagrees with the governor. And now we have an event that we're not sure we can hold. So. Uh, the first weekend in June, and it's one of those things where you sit there and you go, what's the first weekend in June? I'm going to go, come on, history buffs. Nobody knows what the first weekend in June is. You know, the 5th, 6th, and 7th of June? Yes, D-Days. So, I was going to say Midway. Yeah, (laughs) well, you you know, I I have this problem with history. People like to keep having battles on the same couple (laughs) days. I don't know what it is. Um, but, uh, it makes, makes writing scenarios for events easier. Um, but so we're going to have, uh, a virtual right now, one day kind of blood red skies, virtual gathering. And if you, if any of your people aren't blood red skies aficionados or any of the people listening to this podcast aren't, cause you've listened to us talk to Dan Verson or other people that aren't, uh, doing blood red sky stuff or like the fights on crew here, who's doing stuff for check your six. Uh, we have not just intro seminars where you get to hear a talking head like me talk about tactics or, you know, what kind of what kind of aircraft are good in the game, what kind of aircraft look pretty on a stand but uh, don't perform well. Um, we'll also have a lot of people in tabletop sim uh, playing the starter kit. And so it's no different than a demo game at a regular convention. Uh, you'll be able to hop into Discord and hop into the demo game room find out uh, who's ready to show how to play Blood Red Skies, uh, and then hop into Tabletop Sim. You, you will need Tabletop Sim, which is like $19 now, but I, I think just about every gamer out there during coronavirus has now bought Tabletop Sim. <laughs> so if you haven't, go pick up Buy stock in Steam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, I, I, I found it funny that Berserk Games is so hard to get a hold of, the actual developers of, of Tabletop Sim that put it on Steam, uh, because they're so darn busy. Um, but it's, it's, it's kind of interesting trying to work with those guys. Uh, but I digress. So we'll have demo games. You can come check it out. It's virtual. So it means you're not traveling. You show up and spend, you know, 20 minutes, uh, pushing virtual airplanes around and you go, uh, yeah, I'll go back and play check your six or, uh, yeah, this isn't that exciting. I don't, I don't like all the fiddly models. I'm happy playing anything with cool guys. I don't care. <laughs> well, see, the problem is we're not all standing around drinking beer. We'll be uh, drinking beer at the same time while we're virtually standing around. I'll bring my own. Yeah, exactly. So um, absolutely would love to have a lot of people who don't know what Blood Red Skies is about. Um, And and if you say, well, how am I going to keep track of this? No, we don't own the Gathering of Eagles domain name. But hey, leadpursuit.net, where the Lead Pursuit podcast is, uh, you can always go there and find information about it. Or you can go on Facebook, uh, look up Lead Pursuit Podcast, and I swear it's like every other post of mine, I think, is about gathering of eagles these days. Um, but we're going to do a virtual one first, and maybe this fall, uh, if things, if environments have changed, we may do a a, a live in-person gathering. Um, but it's a great chance for people to come out and, and try stuff. And for guys like you, um, you know, especially uh, when we do uh, start doing it more as a, a traveling kind of thing, hitting different uh, locales, uh, link up with us, bring some of your stuff, throw it out on the table, and that way people can see uh, what y'all's terrain looks like inside a Blood Red Skies game and how it's really value-added at that point instead of just us going out and bombing an acrylic marker at the end of the table. 
Yeah, that'd be great. Because uh, that's what we're about, is giving you attractive things to blow up and destroy. <laughs> I like that, because I'm really tired of bombing acrylic. That gets a little old <laughs> after a while. But I do what I have to do, uh, because I, I haven't built as many of the, the targets as Brett has. So, Well, cool. Anything else, you guys, uh, before we wrap this up? Uh, I know you guys have been busy today. There was a Blue Angels flyover. Uh, I'm sure you guys were taking photos of that and out there being aviation nerds watching all that go on. But uh... oh, It was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it came right out, right across downtown Houston, circled the Med Center, and then scooted out to Sandy's house on the west side. It was nice. great. Nice. No, I, I, I'm good. I think we've covered the uh, history of the company, what we're here for. And, you know, if anybody's interested in our products, check out the website, which is uh, on the on the on the web at fightsonstore.com. Um, maybe a lead pursuit podcast and put us down as a resource. Um, yeah. Yeah. We'll throw you on the resources page on our website. Uh, and I can't wait to get my midway terrain in hand. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> yes. And you know, if, if they type in like lead pursuit, maybe that can be like a discount code. What do you think? Oh, we can do that. Oh, we can oh, offer oh, a special do discount. To but they would probably not be able to spell the word pursuit. <laughs> so anything, no anything we don't have any harrier kinda, pilots in our group <laughs> they're all hornet pilots that's kind of close to that <laughs> uh lead p let's just leave it at that oh <laughs> uh, that'd be uh, lead that'd be a lead p yeah exactly that, <laughs> lead p. Uh, nice. that's probably what fighter pilots have after eating paint chips in the ready room it. when they're talking about themselves. It, it's crayons man get it right it's crayons <laughs> oh well it's been awesome having you guys on the show thanks doug like, Look forward to linking up with y'all in person uh, at one of the events when things uh, calm down around here and definitely look forward to uh, seeing some of your terrain up close and definitely using uh, Midway in our next series of battles because that's that's where Blood Red Skies is going this summer, maybe late fall, early fall with their Midway box set release. Uh, and so having uh, pre-done Midway Islands out there will be, will be nice for people to be able to Awesome, you bet. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Doug. No worries, take it easy, guys. Semper, brother. Hoorah. <laughs>